the last couple Sundays, we've been just kind of given a little update on what's going on in Israel. And we do that because we believe um, that Israel is close to God's heart. And when you read the Bible, you'll, you'll see Israel is in the center of everything. When you read Bible prophecy, you see Israel is the epicenter of everything. And um, in fact, in Ezekiel um, 25, it says, God, God is talking, he said, Israel, the most beautiful land in the world. Think about that. And if you've been to Israel and in the Negev, you kind of wonder, is that true? Because it's all desert, you know? But in God's eyes, it's the most beautiful place in the world. And so um, we agree with the Bible. Uh, and um, uh, so just, just a couple things. Let's take a quick look at the map. We, we looked at it last week. And uh, on the Gaza Strip, you, you know what's been going on there. Lebanon, Hezbollah now is fired up in Syria. Uh, terrorists coming in from the north. And um, when you come out this way, you, Iran, Iran is um, fueling the fire, of course. Um, supplying, North Korea is giving weapons as well. So really, um, there's a lot of military going against Israel, and uh, we're grateful that the United States is uh, supporting them. And uh, as I mentioned last week, we know Israel's not going anywhere. You know, they may be under uh, attack, assault, but um, they're going to be standing. Um, Let's go to the Mount of Olives, uh, John. This is, uh, so we're looking from the old city of Jerusalem at the Mount of Olives, and the Kidron Valley is down here. This is the Garden of Gethsemane, and you go up the hill, that's the Mount of Olives. And this is where Jesus ascended back uh, to heaven after, 40 days after he came out of that tomb. Death couldn't hold him. And he went back to the Father, and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father now. And we know when he comes back, he's going to land on the Mount of Olives. We talked about that two weeks ago. And um, you can read Zechariah 14 to get a little more detail on that. But uh, so out of all the places in the world, he's going to come back to the Mount of Olives, just out the, off, outside the old city of Jerusalem. Think about that. So if he's coming back there, you know it's going to be there. <laughs> right? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that one out. So very cool, very cool. Um, this past week, uh, Israeli intelligence uh, mentioned that Hamas has been using captagon. Uh, it's a, a synthetic amphetamine. It's a stimulant. And... You know, they kind of wonder how these guys are wired, Hamas, and it's because of this drug they're taking where they don't need sleep for days and they just, they're on go. They're, they, they're like robots. They don't have emotions and it, it's, it really gives an answer as to why the, the horrific, um, uh, just how they killed Israelis, babies on, on up. Uh, drugs will do that to you. 
And in fact, if you go back in history, you'll find that the Nazis used an amphetamine as well in the beginning of World War II. And so this is nothing new. Um, this, is a, this is a newer drug coming out of the Middle East. And uh, there's talk that it eventually will reach the United States because there's such a demand for drugs in our country. But that being said, um, Psalm 121.3, the one who watches over you will not slumber. You, that's a general statement, that's you, plural. And in verse 4, indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. So you see how it drills down, you, plural, and then he gets more specific in verse 4. He, God, who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. Are you good with that? Yeah, that's good. And then Luke 21, 28, so when when all these things begin to happen, talking about wars and rumors of war, you can go on and on. Uh, Jesus said, stand, stand and look up for your salvation is near. In other words, the coming of the Lord is near. And, um, and so as we see these world events happening, what's going on with Hamas, we don't, I don't believe it's Bible prophecy being filled, fulfilled, but I do believe it's setting the stage for Bible prophecy. I mean, the stage is being set. And so, uh, we have to keep that all in perspective and, um, it's, it's imperative, friends, that we read our Bibles. You know, I, uh, uh, it's an incredible thing how Christians can poo-poo that idea. You know, I go to church on Sunday, that's all I need. No, no, that's not all you need. That's not all I need. There is so much, I tell you, the longer I've been a follower of Christ, the more I realize I need to know God more. Because he just seems to get bigger and bigger. You know? Yes or no? Yeah, that's right. And for that to happen, uh, we need to invest in, in time with him. And, and so let's do that together um, as a church. And, and we uh, are looking for the coming of the Lord. We sang about Jesus' is coming. One of the songs this morning. Is it hot in here? I see everybody fanning themselves. Didn't we get frost last night? So what's wrong? Maybe we should hit AC on that side. What? It's good? Oh, all right, all right. Well, somebody who has a pulse on the temperature, uh, we'll leave it with you. Uh, All right? You should have your outline for today, and um, those of you watching online, you could pull it up on the Life Church webpage and um, or the Life Church um, Facebook page. We're going to go to North Korea, and uh, you heard me mention North Korea is definitely involved in supplying arms to Hamas and Hezbollah. Um, but we also know that uh, North Korea is a brutal country to live in if you don't agree with their politics. And they have concentration camps, work camps all throughout that country. And they tell the people, and it's known 
you don't have to go looking or wondering, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you put your life at risk. If you go public with your faith in North Korea, you put your life at risk. And so Kim, a young man, the oldest of four in his family, he came home and uh, his mom was there. It was just the two of them alone. And, and she could tell when he walked through the door that something was, was not right. Something was really bothering him. And, and so she had to keep prying, hey, hey, um, what's wrong? What, what, something happened. And eventually he opened up and he said, I was with one of my best friends just a little while ago. When two police officers approached us and they grabbed my friend and accused him of being a Christian. One of the officers knocked him to the ground and the other one took out his gun. And during that time, my friend didn't get ticked off. He didn't try to defend himself. Um, And even though that gun was pointed right at him, his face remained so peaceful. He looked straight into my eyes through it all. And without speaking a word, I knew exactly what he was saying. He wanted me to believe the same thing he did. And then he just said, God bless them. And he was executed right in front of me because he was a Christian. And I didn't even know, you know. I, he was just beginning to tell me about his faith, about his relationship with Jesus Christ, that's, that's all I know. I'm just learning the basics, and then he's dead. And Kim's mother um, was really impacted, and she too had tears in her eyes, and she looked at Kim and said, I understand. I understand how you feel. And, and he responded, well, how, how is that possible? Why they would kill my friend? And... she began to tell her son that she too was a follower of, of Jesus Christ and basically went into giving the gospel message that Jesus went to the cross to pay for your sins. He was in the grave for three days and death couldn't hold him. He came out. The resurrection. And uh, she continued to tell you know her son about Jesus And she also, at the same time, began to feel the pain of carrying that weight over the years with the risk of being imprisoned or killed herself if she were to tell her children about Jesus. That that weight just was weighing on her. But she, she felt the joy also of knowing how God had used this young man who had just been killed for his faith to set the seed within her son. And she told Kim, God allowed you to witness the death of one of his sons. And that night, that night, Kim's mother um, presented the gospel to Kim and he put his faith in Jesus Christ. And um, as they got fired up over that, Kim, you know, he... He felt the weight. He said, I've got three younger brothers that need to know about Jesus too. And, uh, and so we've got to tell them. That's what he said to his mom. And when they came home that night, 
he, he stood up and he said to his younger brothers, listen, I just put my faith in Jesus Christ. You need to do that too. And guess what? They did. So four, all four of those sons, that, that day put their faith in Jesus Christ. And the mom, man, she was fired up, of course, but she realized that even though she dared not to speak to her children about their, her Christian faith, this is what she did. She prayed for them every day that they would receive Jesus Christ. Now, we go back to North Korea and we look at this young man who had put his faith in Christ and, and the, the authorities found out about it. They tracked him down and, of course, they assassinated him. And he was willing to die for his faith, wasn't he? And uh, that's something that we need to ponder in our own lives. It's easy to think North Korea is way over there, but um, we need to take our relationship with Christ seriously. We do. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. We sang about that this morning, that we put our eyes on Jesus. And when we do that, world events and crises that we experience in our own individual lives, we need to keep our eyes fixed on him, Jesus. And it says that he will keep you in perfect peace, like that young man had peace when that gun was in his face, knowing where he would go at the end of his life. That's the promise, that's the hope that you and I can have. And so, in a way, we celebrate that. So we need to trust the Lord with our lives, and we see that um, in chapter 3 of Daniel today, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're going to call them that because that's what Daniel called them in chapter 3. Um, is that all right? Okay. Psalm 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world from beginning to end, you are God. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? So we hit this quite a bit, actually. But before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth, what does that verse say? That says that God created it all, doesn't it? So we, we, can, we can rest in that fact. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. From beginning to end, you are God. And it's good to make that, that declaration. So... All right, we're feeling the pressure. We are moving into chapter 3 of Daniel. And you should mark your calendars. Um, But feeling the pressure. And let's take a look um, at chapter 3. You have your Bibles? You have your Bibles, man? Bring your Bibles, man. Bring your Bibles to church. Chapter 3, verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So... 
all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Okay, in your Bibles, if you read um, verses 1 through 10, there's a word that keep, that's keep, that is, keeps on repeating. <laughs> keeps on repeating. The word keeps on repeating. We got through that one now. You know which word that is? Well, for the sake of time, it's the word all. And it's used five times in those verses, all. In my Bible, I've circled that word all because it jumped out at me. What does all mean? All. All. We've, we've settled that over the years here, haven't we? The Greek, the Hebrew, all means all. And you guys are theologians, man. It's good to see that you're drilling down. Yeah. All. All the, the officials, all the officials, all races, all people, all people. Lord, we want to thank you that you died for all people. For God so loved the world. He loved the world. That's all people. What love you have demonstrated for us, Lord. You have been so good, so faithful. Thank you for your word, Lord, that we can apply it to our lives. I pray for those here today, those watching, that maybe they're pushing back. They really don't like you, don't want to get to know you, don't want to experience your love and forgiveness. But that doesn't matter to you, God. You just keep coming after us. That's your love demonstrated. And we thank you for it. We pray for Israel today. Again, you'll give the leadership their wisdom, Lord. Give our leaders in this country wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, feeling the pressure, um, feeling the pressure. That's the title, 2,600 years ago, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world at that time, had a dream. It was a repeating dream um, about a statue um, with a variety of different metals in it. And uh, Daniel told the king that the gold head represented Nebuchadnezzar and the country of Babylon. When you talked about the king, it, you also included the kingdom. When you talked about a kingdom, it, you always also included the king. It's the same thing with Jesus Christ. When you talk about Jesus, it automatically refers to his kingdom. And when you talk about his kingdom, you're always including Jesus. Yes? Got it. And so um, we know that uh, our faith, our faith in 2023, your faith, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it will be tested just uh, as the Babylonian culture tested Daniel and his three friends. And we know that the devil tests our faith to destroy us. That's what he wants to do. He wants to, he wants to nuke our faith to destroy our relationship with Jesus Christ. But on the flip side, God tests our faith to develop our faith. God tests our faith to develop our faith because a faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. 
And that's explain, this explains why Daniel and his three friends were, were tested in Babylon, the most pagan, occultic culture of that day. And they thrived through it, which gives me great hope. And so uh, one coming off uh, last week, God's great kingdom, and we see that, um, that Daniel got fired up, man. And I, I mentioned this last week, and I've been thinking about it all week again. How did Daniel and his buddies thrive so well in that culture? If you notice, they kept promoting God. They kept lifting up the name of God, that he is the one true God. In the fog of darkness and paganism, he thrived because he lifted up God. God is my standard, and I will keep my eyes on him. And that's how we do it in the day that we're living as well. We, we um, keep our eyes fixed on, on Christ. Now, I like what Dustin Messer wrote. When Jesus came the first time, he brought a piece of heaven to earth. When he ascended in his physical body, he took a piece of earth to heaven. When he comes the second time, he'll bring all of heaven to all the earth. What a day that's going to be. And so Daniel's promoting God. And then, number two, Daniel and his band of brothers get promoted. That's what happens. Verse uh, 48 in chapter 2, Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all his wise men. Was Daniel good with that? No. He said, hey, how about my dudes over here, the band of brothers? We're all together. And so at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon while Daniel remained in the king's court. Daniel became the prime minister of Babylon. Think about that. Think about that. And um, Nebuchadnezzar, um, he, he was grateful for Daniel giving the interpretation to that dream. It took the pressure off of him. And we see that Daniel and his friends were promoted. And guess what, friends? When, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and, and you're a follower of Jesus, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get promoted one day. There's coming a day! What's going to happen? Well, let's go to Colossians. We're going to be rewarded by Christ. Nebuchadnezzar promoted Daniel. It's cool. That's cool. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, we're going to be rewarded by Jesus himself. Woo! Come on. Isn't that amazing? You can read Daniel and think, oh, those guys are so cool, man. They got, they got gifts and prime minister. Guess what? You're going to get rewards from Jesus himself. That day is coming. Colossians 3, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. That day's coming. What a day that's going to be. And, uh, and so we look 
that Daniel and his, his buddies got promoted and one day Jesus will give you and I rewards at that great day when he comes back. Revelation 22.20, he who is faithful, witness to all these things, says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come on, Lord, come. All right, number three, time can change things. Time, the, t- the clock is ticking. And we go back to chapter 2, verse 20. Daniel said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the, other, to the scholars. And um, what Daniel's doing is time is ticking, but God never changes. God is in control. He gives wisdom. He removes kings. He sets up kings. And we see Daniel promotes God again in verse 44b. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. Kingdoms come and go. Nations come and go. We are seeing our nation really, uh, I don't think we're improving as a nation. Rome self-destructed, and we're in the process, I think, of that outside of the grace of God. And so we can't put our our hope in a country. We can put our hope in Jesus Christ. His kingdom will never end. That's where we have to camp out. It says it will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and and his kingdom will stand forever. So what what does Nebuchadnezzar do after Daniel tells him about the dream, the interpretation, what it means. And we see in verse 46, King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. And the king said to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest God. So somewhere between 46 and 47, something happened. There was a pause there and Daniel just put 46 and 47 together. But Nebuchadnezzar fell down and he starts to worship Daniel because he thinks, man, Daniel, you are the awesome dude. You answered my, but Daniel said, no, wait, wait. it was God, remember? He keeps going, pointing back to God. And so after Daniel straightened Nebuchadnezzar out, think about that. Get up, get up, get up. Get up. And points to God. Then the king said, verse 47, truly your God is the greatest of gods. The Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal the secret. You see this transition there? Something cool happened between 46 and 47. Now, as we are moving along into chapter 3, 16 years have gone by. So if we're on a timeline from the time that, that Daniel interpreted the dream and was promoted, 16 years has, have gone by. And now Nebuchadnezzar's got a 90-foot statue out in the plain of Dura. And you think to yourself, hey, what happened to that guy? Because when you go back to the end of chapter 2, it kind of looks like Nebuchadnezzar is getting bumped along and maybe putting his faith in the one true God, right? Do you see that? 
But over 16 years, um, the prophecy of that dream that Daniel interpreted um, have come true. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, they're still the number one world power. There's no silver kingdom. There's no bronze kingdom. There's no iron kingdom. And so over 16 years, he's probably thinking, hey, man, I'm not going anywhere. You know, that rock that's going to come out of the sky and blow me up, the statue? Pooh! 16 years. What happened? He kind of drifted back to his own self, full of pride and arrogance. God was working on him. That's how God works. He works consistently, no matter our pride, our arrogance, our dependence on ourselves. God never gives up. And so the King Nebuchadnezzar, there's kind of like a renewed sense of invincibility. I'm all powerful. I'm the king of the world. Daniel must have lied to me. Yeah. See? You see it? And so, 16 years, time changes things. And I want, I want to submit that to you just for a moment this morning. How about your faith? How is your faith doing over the years? Do you remember the day you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Are, have you been growing closer to him over that time? No, I get it. I get it. There's ebbs and flows in our faith, life, as a way of doing that. But when it's all said and done, we sang about that. We stand on the rock. Our foundation is Jesus Christ. We're not going anywhere. And so, um, like Nebuchadnezzar, there was movement. And I have to tell you, man, uh, watching people you'll see there's movement, there's spiritual movement towards God in this path of life. When you talk to them, you see, man, they're they're changing, they're changing. And then over time, they just kind of drift away. You know, they back off. We've talked that as Life Church, there should be a radical pursuit in our relationship to Jesus Christ. There has to be a radical pursuit. Because if we're just floating through life, we're going, to get, we're going to just get washed away. There has to be that intentional pursuit in going after Christ, no matter what happens. And life gets in the way. And people just drift away. They calm down. They... They go back to their old ways. And um, we're going to take a look at Hebrews um, chapter 5. I was in the book of Hebrews a couple weeks ago, and this jumped out at me. Hebrews 5.12, you, you have been believers so long now. So the author of Hebrews is saying, he's not writing to those who are not followers of Christ. He's writing to those who have put their faith in Christ. He said, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. 
For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Is that good? And so my, one, one thing that I pray for for Life Church is, one, that God's presence is strong and that people who don't know him will put their faith in Christ. Two, for those who are followers of Christ, that they will pursue him and mature in their faith. It's ongoing. And may we see that in my life, in your life. So I ask you, I submit to you, your faith, your faith journey, where, where, is it moving towards God or is it drifting away from him? Hmm? 16 years impacted Nebuchadnezzar. And he drifted away from God and his pride and arrogance inflated him to a new level. And so when you think about this statue, the statue that he saw He was the head, and that was it. Now he builds a statue of himself. He stood in the mirror, and and the sculptors put this thing together. 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. Tall, narrow. Wouldn't you say? So here's an artist. Did we look at the artist's rendering of that yet? He's hiding behind. Oh, there he is. That's the best the artist could do. I know it's a little foggy, but... You have to remember that's 2,600 years ago, you know. I've got some photographs in my uh, notebook. They're fading over time. Yeah. So, yeah, here's an, and that's another artist's rendering. So the, the plane of Dura, that dude's a little, he's a little beefier. Must have been lifting weights or something. But anyway... The plain of Dura, that's an interesting place. Just so you you get an idea, um, I thought of Joseph as well in the book of Genesis, you know, where he was promoted to prime minister of Egypt. Uh, He was in prison and and God got him out of there and and the Pharaoh uh, promoted him uh, to be prime minister. And... and, um, Verse 43 of Genesis 41, Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command, and wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, Kneel down, so Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of all Egypt. Incredible, right? But in Exodus 1, in time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation. Verse 8, eventually a new king came into power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. You see how time changes things? Yes or no? Time changes things. And they forgot. They didn't have any recollection of Joseph. They didn't have Joseph's picture up on the wall in the palace as a reminder of how God used him in their country. And so, verse 10, we must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. Verse 11, so the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. You see it? How did that happen? Time changes things. And 
we need to be careful that we don't allow life to jade us where we lose our passion for Jesus Christ. I have to tell you, man, this morning, uh, I, I, told, uh, I told our elders before we pray before we come out here, I said, I, feel, I just feel really anxious inside. And they prayed, you know, about that. And being here this morning, it has done me good. The Lord has been faithful. And I'm so glad I'm here. And I'm so glad you're here. Because that's what God does. That's what the body of Christ is all about. Why would anybody want to stay away? I don't understand it. It boggles my mind. And time changes things, friends. And I want to ask you, how is it with your relationship with the Lord today? Are you growing? Are you maturing? Or are you stagnating? Time can do you good or time can do you bad. It's up to you. It's your choice. And so, Lord, we thank you this morning. You've been here. You love being here, Lord. You love hanging out with your people. And we see just this faith journey with Nebuchadnezzar and how it looked like he was moving along towards you and then suddenly it's, it's worse than ever. It's all about him. And you're forgotten. And today, we know that time flies, man. It, it just gets away from us. But we also know there's coming a day, Lord, when you re- will reward your sons and daughters. And as your people this morning, we, we, look, we humble ourselves before you, God. We don't want to be like Nebuchadnezzar. We know that there's a, that little Nebuchadnezzar wants to run around in our lives. Pat us on the back and say, you can do it on your own. And Lord, we want that Nebuchadnezzar to die, that old nature, put it to death. That we will pursue you. That we will keep our eyes on you. Lord, how is it? Is it well with your soul this morning? Do you need to say, Lord, forgive me for drifting, for wandering? I want to thank you, Lord, for your word that reminds me that I need to keep my eyes on you. And I'm going to do that, Lord. So forgive me. 
renew this relationship with you this morning. And for those that are here today that you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, today, man, today is the day of salvation. That's why Jesus came. He wants to have a relationship with you. He's representing God the Father, modeling God to all of us. You can say, Lord, thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for paying for my sin dead in full. You became my substitute. And I say thank you. And today I'm going to put my trust in you. Yeah. Instead of you being in charge, you allow Jesus to be in charge of your life. That's the... That's what the gospel's all about. So Lord, we thank you for those this morning that are saying yes to you for the first time. May they join those in that radical pursuit of you. In Jesus' name, amen.